Hello, and thank you for listening to Renewables, a podcast by Biostar, which aims to explore the current and future energy landscape in America. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Renewables. I'm your host, David Smart. It's been a while since we've released an episode, had a little holiday break, so really appreciate everybody tuning in. And we're really excited to welcome Mason Moreland onto the show. Uh, There's been a lot of talk about real estate syndication lately, particularly in the ag space. You're seeing uh, folks like Bill Gates is the number one landowner in the USA. And you're hearing about a lot of these high net worth individuals uh, kind of piling into ag land. We're going to get into that why that is. Um, and then we're going to talk specifically about wine, uh, which personally is exciting to me. So Mason, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's really great to have you. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. And uh, just to dot our I's and cross our T's, tell our, our viewers and listeners your, your uh, title and what company you're with. So uh, I'm a, a managing partner at uh, Texas Vine Country. Uh, so we're a, a wine beverage based business. Our primary business line is growing grapes. Uh, we also have other business lines uh, as far as, uh, you know, processing grapes and things like that as we expand. But our primary focus is growing grapes here in the state of Texas. That's awesome. And uh, we're going to get into Texas in a little bit because when I think vineyards, you know, everybody thinks Napa, maybe Oregon these days. But so we're going to get into that, um, but tell us first about your background, how you ended up syndicating vineyards, how, how you got to here. Yeah, talk about a like a long winding road. Uh, how do you, <laughs> you know, how do you end up raising capital and, and developing vineyards? It's kind of a weird deal, but um, yeah, my background is uh, actually as a biologist, so uh, specialize in herpetology, so all the scaly, slimy stuff. Uh, so started picking up snakes and handling venomous snakes when I was like 12. Um, so I thought I was going to do that as a profession, uh, got to college and, and, uh, you know, started doing research and realized I'd be chasing grant money, uh, and nobody would be reading my papers except for the three other herpetologists. Uh, so <laughs> I figured I should do something more applied and, uh, ended up switching my major to, uh, uh, natural resource management. So still a biologist, but really uh, what I like to call is more applied rednecking. So uh, you're, you're actually applying your wildlife biology skills uh, to real world problems uh, and, and uh, especially at the, the interface with humans. So that was really interesting to me. And that's kind of what set me down this path that I'm on uh, to get where I'm at. Uh, so fast you, forward. Oh, please, please. No, good. Okay. Thank you. So uh, fast, fast forward, basically uh, graduate and I immediately start working as an environmental consultant at the same time, start uh, investing in real estate, same year. Uh, so as soon as I started my uh, actual career, uh, W2 career, started investing in real estate at the same time. Uh, I've been doing so ever since with my family, but uh, a long winding road between there and now. Uh, but all the connections I've built from uh, university and on uh, ended up leading me uh, to a place where I realized there was a big hole in the market here uh, that could be attacked uh, as far as the grape industry. And I had the right team around me. 
That's great. And you joked that only three other, did you say herbologists, would read your paper? Uh, herpetologists, but, but yeah, herpetologists, all three of them. But that's, that's funny because one of my questions is here in here is how many folks around the country actually do what you do? My understanding is not very many, right? Yeah, yeah, I can count them on one hand. Uh, yeah. So it's not, not a whole lot. Um, as far as folks that uh, work specifically with grapes, uh, I can really only think of two. Uh, one of them is a, more of a crowdfunding uh, type platform. Uh, and the other one is a, a true syndicator, uh, but they haven't, haven't done any great, great work in a long time. Uh, and it sort of gets to why, uh, why it works in Texas. Right. And it's because, uh, California's got really expensive, uh, no matter sure. which way you cut it, you know, land in Napa Valley, you're talking 60 K plus an acre. That's just, uh, the ROI is not there. Right. Yeah. So you got to look elsewhere. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, uh, there's always a lot of innovation, it seems, in Texas. So uh, now you have a picture of some grapes behind you. Is that is that in Texas? Yeah, yeah. So this is our, our main base of operations behind me over my right shoulder here. Uh, that's awesome. actually uh, some Cannon County Vineyards uh, Tempranillo uh, in our experimental block uh, for our system. So this was the first block of fully mechanized uh, wine grapes planted in the state of Texas, like and, and it was designed to not be touched by people once it was established. Yeah, and that's, I really want to get into that fully mechanized production because that's obviously something that sets you apart. Um, talk a little bit about your process. Do you buy existing vineyards? Or are you starting from scratch? Uh, kind of walk us through. And then once you go through that, I think that'll kind of take us into that, your, your fully mechanized production, which I think is fascinating. Yeah, so our, our our entire business model hinges on uh, setting things up correctly the first time. So it's very much a development play. So we don't do uh, much, if any, uh, we haven't done yet any any rehab, so to speak. So value add, you know, going out and buying an existing vineyard and, and sure. uh, adding adding mechanization to it. There are some opportunities to do that, but with the way we do it uh, in the state of the current Texas market. There's really not a whole lot of vineyards out there that offer the kind of scale, the size mm -hmm. uh, that that really makes sense for us. So, so what we do is we uh, raise capital, either 506B or 506C, uh, for those of you guys uh, and gals that are familiar with all the uh, SEC regs that you can raise money under. Um, difference being, can you advertise or not? Uh, we raise capital. Uh, and we go out and we develop new vineyards uh, in about a half section uh, increments. That's a half square mile for east, Eastern seaboard folks that aren't in township range and sections. <laughs> uh, everything's square out here. It's glorious. Very easy to, to chop up. Uh, so we do it in half, half square mile uh, increments. And that's um, really even, even that number is optimized so that we can get the most use out of our equipment. So that keeps you know, our half million dollar tractor busy all the time. It keeps yeah. all our uh, ancillary equipment busy all the time. It keeps all our people busy full time. Uh, so it's really maximizing all of our overhead operations. Uh, and then we produce those wine grapes, sell them to wineries here in the state of Texas. Uh, and eventually I hope to become, you know, hope Texas can become a wine exporter as well, or sure. a fruit exporter um, and generate returns for our investors. So it's, it's really similar to what you'd see in um, ground up developments for commercial real estate. Yeah, it's super interesting. And um, you invest a, a really significant amount of money 
into the equipment. And so let's get into that sort of what you call fully mechanized production. What does that mean for our viewers who are wondering and, and talk about sort of the difference uh, between the upfront cost and, and the kind of long-term slash labor costs that maybe some of your competitors face? Yeah, I think the, the best way to start that conversation might be just to start from a sense of what uh, you know, what is there to be done in a vineyard, right? Sure. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a biblical thing. People have talked about putting in the work in vineyards for, for thousands of years now, right? Um, but it, it's really a year-round process. We only have a, a few months off. It's, it's really between now and about February that we have off, which is sure. you're really very much off. But uh, the rest of the year, is, there's constantly work. Uh, so there's there's a lot of what we call cultural practices that have to happen throughout the year. So you're pruning the vines in late winter, early spring. Uh, that has to happen every year. Uh, you are removing leaves from the vines. You're hedging the canopy. You're thinning the shoots uh, from the vines. Uh, you're spraying the vines with foliar nutrients, uh, or you know if if you have a caterpillar problem, some kind of organic pesticides, things like that. Um, uh, and then, of course, you're harvesting. Uh, now, mechanical harvesting has been figured out for a long time. People have gotten really good at that. You can ha mechanically harvest almost any system of grapes. Uh, but it all boils back down to um, grapes are structural parasites. They have to grow on something. Uh, very, there's a few varieties you can train very laboriously into a freestanding variety. Think like uh, uh, brands like Gnarly Head. Uh, they're called head train vines. They look like a stump. Uh, but it takes many years to do that. It's hard to mechanize. So what we have to do for, on the front end is really design that uh, to optimally be able to do everything we can by machine. Mm -hmm. uh, so for some kind of context of, uh, of the, the manpower required to do this sort of work uh, on, on the vineyard behind me, it's about 350 acres contiguous. Uh, that would take us probably 40 to 60, maybe more seasonally uh, employees to run that. Uh, in a traditionally managed system uh, that that is similar to the what most of the rest of the state uses, yep. uh, and for us we can run it with about three. Wow! Uh, so so it's a it's a big operational cost difference, right? Uh, but what that really means to mechanize is you're just taking those hands out of the vineyard um, and doing it with a machine, a tractor. Uh, so we're buying specialized tractors to do the pruning, the shoot thinning, the desuckering, uh, you know, removing weeds, um, harvesting everything end to end. So there's just a couple folks that that are really needed to operate something like that. That's awesome. And so you can run this whole operation with just a few people year round. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the only thing keeping us from going below about four employees on this particular one is we still have a legacy block of about 30 acres that's uh, in a more traditional system. So we still okay. have some hand labor on that one, but uh, all of our all of our modern uh, current vineyards are, are completely, uh, I wouldn't say touch free, but they're very, 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 very low touch. Uh, there's not a whole lot of humans out there after about year four. That's really amazing. And just in terms, I don't know how you quantify. I know a couple of folks in the business um, and they actually bottle wine. So they always talk about cases per year. Um, how do you quantify how much production, I guess, do you get out of that, uh, that farm there? So we go, we go off of uh, tonnage. So okay. tons uh, and a good metric to figure out kind of how productive is a vineyard is tons per acre. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that's usually how yield is quantified. Um, so on a typical vineyard, um, at least in Texas and in a lot of other areas as well, you're, you're looking at a typical ton uh, or yield uh, of tonnage per acre of about three to seven uh, tons okay. per acre. That's about average uh, for, for traditionally trellis vineyards. Now, a system that we run, uh, and that, that depends on variety, of course, each variety is a little bit different. Uh, now, the system we run, we're actually able to push them a whole lot harder. Um, it's called high wire. So you're actually bringing the vine considerably higher up off the ground, and you're able to create a much bigger canopy. So that each one of those leaves is a little solar panel, right? You're just collecting sun, sunlight energy and air, hmm. uh, carbon dioxide, and converting it into sugars and flavor compounds to ripen those grapes. So the more that canopy you can build, within reason, everything's got to be balanced, uh, the more you can yield. Uh, it takes some more inputs, but sunlight's one of those inputs. Um, sorry, if you can hear that, uh, my dog is going crazy in the background. <laughs> no worries, no worries. That's uh, um, the norm here at the end of 2021, right? Work Exactly, home, homework. Dogs uh, she's, barking, kids She's screaming. my work partner now, uh, but she goes with me in the vineyard too. But uh, yeah, nice. you can build that bigger canopy. So just for, for you know, uh, comparison, on systems like this in California, uh, you know, on the same soil, same water, uh, folks are pushing, you know, seven to eight tons per acre on a traditional system and uh, 20 upwards of 30 to 35 tons per acre on this system. Hmm. So wow. significantly higher output. Now you lose a little bit of that quality level, right? You're not going to be seeing very many, really any bottles that are 150 bucks coming off of a vineyard that's producing 10 or 20 tons sure. to the acre. Um, so, you know, you're sacrificing part of that, but in Texas, particularly one of the things that really drew me to it was that it had a market gap like that. Everybody in the state of Texas was primarily focused on premium and ultra premium bottles of wine. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're looking at bottles that are all 30 something dollars plus, right? Yeah. Um, and it, it left a huge gap because nobody could produce grapes, uh, the raw materials at a price to hit that, that central uh, part of the market that everybody wants, that $15 bottle of wine that's phenomenal mm-hmm. that you can get yep. from any other major growing region. So that's, that's really our, our goal is to, to plug that gap because right now, uh, half of the winemaking materials uh, that the state of Texas consumes and almost all of it's consumed in state, very little Texas wine is exported out of state. Uh, is actually uh, imported as bulk juice or bulk wine from out of state, uh, mostly from California. So one of our main goals is to actually cut that off and make self, uh, Texas self-sufficient. That's amazing. And you mentioned expanding that canopy and those leaves or solar panels. So we did not rehearse that, but that's a great transition uh, into kind of the energy side of things. We like to talk about a bunch of different topics on the podcast, but of course, Given our core business and given that the podcast is called Renewables, uh, we love to touch on energy. I've just been super impressed as we've kind of gotten to know each other about your knowledge of kind of the sustainability world and various technologies that you're monitoring and considering in your operation. When we first met, actually, you were uh, reaching out, I think, about, you know, bio, about digesters, anaerobic digesters and and potentially, yeah. you know, developing a digester down there, which is awesome. I know you mentioned floating solar, which is super cool and something that we're paying attention to. So talk about some of the things you have your eye on and, and kind of some of the things, um, 
maybe not as pie in the sky that the vineyard is already doing uh, in general to become more efficient and sustainable. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's so good point. My W two job, I still have a W two job, and uh, I'm an environmental consultant, so I still do a bunch of solar, utility scale, yeah. community scale, everything in between, development end to end. So very plugged into that world um, still for sure. Um, and uh, one of the cool things about vineyards is that um, it really gives you a lot of opportunities to and ag in general to to find ways to use what you already got to create okay. additional income streams. Uh, and you know, what, what you guys do with like, uh, biogas and digesters is exactly in line with that kind of mentality, uh, and, and farmers, especially, you know, cause, uh, the primary grape farmer in the state of Texas is a, you know, convert from cotton farming, or they, they may still have, you know, 10,000 acres of cotton, sure. they only have a hundred, hundred acres of grapes, but they're always looking for things like that. Um, so there, there's a lot of opportunities. And uh, I think really France and California are some of the leading regions that are, that are doing research into this and seeing kind of what fits and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. uh, but what's really interesting to me is uh, actually like the additive uses, right? So like you said, floating solar, right? So one of the things that I'll, I, I uh, am, am building out now the plan for uh, to future-proof us is we're really dependent on groundwater out here. Mm -hmm. uh, we get rain at the right time of year for grapes uh, when we need it, um, but we don't get a whole lot of rain at the second right time of the year in the fall. Mm -hmm. we, we get most of it in the early, uh, early summer. So we are dependent on groundwater out here. If you've heard anything about the Ogallala Aquifer, it's all gloom and doom, right? Everybody's like, ah, it's going to dry out. It's, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's gone in the next 50 years. Uh, well, we've seen a pretty stable trend where we're at. And we, we choose properties specifically in areas that are uh, consistently rising or level water tables. Hmm. But to future-proof ourselves, uh, we're also looking at, hey, how do we build uh, storage ponds so that um, in, in anticipation of when we need that water, even though we have you know, potentially much less water yield in the future, um, can we build ponds to actually start uh, storing atmospheric pressure, some of that water so that we can irrigate in that pulse when we need it, mm -hmm. uh, even though we're not producing as much water, or can we truck it in from somewhere else that's water rich, uh, things like that. Cause our climate is great for it. Uh, but yeah. you know, if, if the aquifer is limited, then we have a problem. So to help future proof ourselves, we can do that, but then being able to add solar on top of that to actually negate the cost uh, or, or significantly offset it uh, for yeah. running the pumps, uh, running all the, the booster pumps, um, running all the valves and everything. That's incredible. I mean, that it, not only that it's synergistic in the, in the, the, the sense that it, it reduces evaporation. I mean, yeah, there's so much say. cool stuff that you can do with that. It reduces the amount of dust you're getting into there. Like all good things are happening when you're, when you're layering these multiple uses on top of one another, one another. Um, and that's, what's really cool about vineyards because they're their own ecosystem. Sure. Uh, unlike, you know, some people can do row crops in a way that's, that's pretty regenerative and uh, holistic, uh, but it's a whole lot easier with permanent crops because they're just sitting there. You're not pulling them out of the ground every year and plowing back over. Sure. Um, so we're, we're really able to layer a lot of different things on top of that. Um, and uh, as far as multiple uses and regenerative uh, uses, we're able to do cover crops in between the rows 
uh, where we're actually building uh, either something useful. Uh, so like some kind of uh, crop that we can actually hay off and sell, uh, okay. or we can um, do uh, different plantings to help with pollinators. Um, so we can actually bring in beekeepers uh, and lease that out. We also lease the land to, to sheep farmers as well. So that actually keeps our, our, our uh, vegetation management bill really low. Uh, nice. Since we have nice high vines, we can just let sheep loose in there to do all the work and then they get yeah. fed. Uh, we get a nice fertilizer uh, kick because we produce a lot of grapes and we can use any, any little fertilizer, free fertilizer hit we can take and uh, generate a little income on the side too. So there's a lot of different things you can just start layering one on top of the other and cumulatively they can make a big difference. Yeah, you know, I think in the past, you know, five, six, seven years, I've just been so amazed every time I kind of get closer and I know this much, you know, just enough to be dangerous. But every time I talk to a farmer or someone in the ag space, just how focused they already are on sustainability. And I think it's really easy for folks who are kind of separated from, from the ag world to look at, you know, the dairy industry, for example, right now is under a lot of pressure and there's all this manure, big manure problem. And, but, but people don't really realize, I mean, for decades, farmers have been trying to solve these problems and trying to, like you said, make use of everything that you have, right? There's, there's very little waste on a farm and just amazing how, um, how much time and effort people uh, farmers, you know, spend trying to make use of every last, um, you know, resource on the farm. So you mentioned an interesting word, re regenerative, and, and I love that word, regenerative farming, we talk a lot about at Biostar and, and closing nutrient loops, you kind of touched on that a little bit, but just at a higher kind of level, you know, um, like one thing we say a lot at Biostar is, you know, soil let's start thinking about soil as a living organism, right? Instead mm -hmm. of just a, a vehicle to grow living organisms. So that's kind of how we think about it and a lot through the lens of soil health, but just high level, what does regenerative farming mean to you? What, what does that kind of define that, I guess, for our users from, from a vineyard's perspective? I, I sort of laugh because it's, it's sort of a running joke amongst all vineyard and wine enthusiasts, it's called regenerative disease. <laughs> Everybody gets hung up on, they want to be regenerative, uh -huh. but it means something different to everyone, right? Sure. So it's, it's a, how do you, how do you uh, quantify this, right? right. Um, so that, that's, uh, that's sort of a running joke in, in the vineyard world. But um, yeah, so to me, regenerative is really being uh, additive to, like you said, the living organism that is the soil. So out here, we're on the high plains, um, at least as we call it, Texas, we're on the Great Plains. It's flat as a pancake. Uh, the main asset we have is soil. The next one is water. And it's all rainwater because we don't have surface water. The next one's groundwater. So soil is your number one asset. If you're not taking care of your soil, you got nothing. It's blown away. There's a reason the Dust Bowl happened, right? So if you're farming in such a way that you are being um, additive to the organic matter of that soil and you're keeping it in one place, to me, that is regenerative where we're at. Um, so uh, to do that, you have to tie in all those other things I think most people typically think about when you're thinking sure. about regenerative farming. Yeah, that's a great answer. And, um, you know, love the 
additive everyone's talking about additionality right now in the carb carbon world so so totally makes sense um shifting gears a little bit we obviously manufacture an organic fertilizer uh from affluent waste streams most times a manure uh, waste stream from a farm or um, you know we have food waste digesters as well um, around the country uh, is there a place i don't i guess i just I'm, I'm speaking just from a high level consumer standpoint knowing nothing is there a place for organics in vineyards is it important to you for things to be organic i i guess you don't see a lot of organic like labeling um but maybe i'm just not looking in the right places is there a place for organics and organic fertilizer in in um growing grapes in the vineyard world 100 percent, 100 percent. um so I, it really depends on where you're at in the world yeah. uh, so and and your methods right so for us we're producing a high intensity product right so we're producing a lot of yield a lot of tonnage per acre so that requires a lot of inputs, right? Mm -hmm. So you're, you're, you're using up a lot of nitrogen, you're using up a lot of water and you're, you're sucking up a lot of CO2 and sunshine, <clears throat> excuse me. So uh, there's absolutely a place for, for organic fertilizers in that sort of system. Now, where you start to get away from organic fertilizers and into organic pesticides, organic uh, treatments and things like that, are when you start getting over to your premiums and your ultra premiums, you know, they're mm -hmm. focused on keeping yields really, really low. You know, you're, mm -hmm. if you're putting any kind of nitrogen on there, you're going to start having issues with, with the grapes sure. trying to produce too much. Interesting. Um, so that that's sort of a, a balance where I think it depends on what system you're looking at. Um, something that's really interesting about organics in the vineyard industry is the way that, um, that we farm uh, personally isn't, like the, the, the farming aspect of it is pretty similar to what most people do. It's not all that different. It's a lot of structural, philosophical, um, and, you know, spacing stuff like that. Mm -hmm. The actual management of vines, they're still vines. You still have to manage them sure. uh, in the same fashion. And we're almost organic, you know, we're really, really close. Uh, you know, we could basically swap out, um, uh, a couple of herbicides for, uh, for mechanical management or livestock management, uh, and then uh, find something more creative for a couple of different insecticides, uh, which we already use like BT and things like that to control caterpillars and some other, mm -hmm. some other pests. Um, and we'd be there. Uh, so it's really not that, that far-fetched for, for even big industrial vineyards, kind of like what we're putting in to, to go organic. And that's, that's a big selling point on wines these days. Yeah, that's great. And uh, maybe we need to organize some totes of super six organic fertilizer and ship them down to Texas so you can so you can do a little uh, crop study and, and field trial. That would be really fun. Yeah, that would be um, fun. You can do it row by row out here, too. So it's like you can see it. Literally yeah, like you look down this one, look down this one like, oh, well. Yeah, no, that's really cool. And we've got, if anyone's interested in that, we don't have any on vineyards, but we have some field trials available about our super six fertilizer or organic um, liquid nitrogen fertilizer on our website. So feel free to dig around on there. Um, we're going to kind of wrap up here. This has been super interesting. A couple of questions before final thoughts. What are you most excited about? You, you've got a lot of different things you're considering and I can tell just from kind of our conversations that you're always looking 
for ways to enhance your operation. What are you most excited about in the next five years, 10 years? What, what gets you excited to, about the future? Uh, for me, it's, it's absolutely the uh, prospect of Texas becoming self-sufficient, right? Because you see these, these uh, American wine regions in particular, like uh, California, Oregon, and Washington stories uh, before now have been very similar to the track Texas is on. In uh, in you know, now we have a concrete plan of like, how do we get to self-sufficiency uh, as a wine industry in the state of Texas within the next 10 years? I've got the plan, right? So it's, you know, we need to get this many acres in. Here's how we're going to do it. Uh, we're already raising capital and, and getting vineyards put in at the rate we need to do it at. Uh, and, you know, we're lining out all the contacts to, to get the wine made in the state of Texas instead of outside the state of Texas. Yeah. And that's what gets me jazzed is, is just being able to see that, um, you know, we're continuing to make the brand of the state even stronger, which, you know, it's already got a great brand. Uh, you slap a Lone Star and tech and made in Texas on it. It's already got some, some pizzazz to it. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's really cool. And it's cool that you, you have a plan and, and now you have to execute it. Um, sometimes that's the scariest part, but, um, but no, that's great. It sounds like you're on an amazing track and look forward to staying in touch any final thoughts? Uh, and if not, how can our listeners and viewers find you online if they want to have a conversation? Um, just give us your handles uh, so folks can look you up. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, final thoughts. Um, don't be afraid to, you know, don't have wine uh, fear. Yeah. Uh, feel free to pick up any bottle you see and just give it a try. Uh, you know, I'm not a connoisseur uh, by, you know, by any means. I just... Uh, appreciate wine. I like yeah. it. Not a super taster. I will pick up any bottle of wine at any price just to give it a shot and see what it's all about. And uh, a new region. It's it's super fun to do. Uh, the more you you taste different stuff, uh, the more you start learning about it just on your own. Even um, and if 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 you're still nervous, go get a little bit of education online or something. It's wine can be so much fun. And it's only as, as uh, snobby and, and stuck up as, as you want to make it. So yeah. uh, there's a lot of fun wine people, especially after they've had a, a glass or two. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, you can, you can find me on, uh, on texasvinecountry.com. That's our, our primary website for kind of houses all our brands. That's our parent company. Uh, and I'm super active on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm on there almost every day, if not every day. Uh, most of our content goes out through LinkedIn on both TVC's page and then my personal page as well. Awesome. Yeah, that's how we originally connected. You got to love the power of the, the social networks, connecting uh, good, smart people together. It's great to have you on the show. I really appreciate it. And I will, um, I will include, excuse me, I will include uh, that texasvinecountry.com in our show notes. Um, really appreciate the time, Mason. Let's stay in touch and maybe we'll have you back in 2022. Yeah, absolutely, David. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll have to we'll have to get together and, and see what's happening new in the world of uh, renewables out here in uh, West Texas with vineyards and stuff, too. It'll be fun. Uh, fun absolutely. To watch yeah, I'd love to. Uh, I'd love to connect over a glass of, uh, of Texas grapes. So Heck we'll have yeah, to find man. a way to do Let's that. Let's do it. Thanks a lot, Mason. Appreciate it. Thanks, David. Hello, and thank you for listening to Renewables, a podcast by Biostar, which aims to explore the current and future energy landscape in America.